everyone and welcome to another powerful conversation with yet another powerful woman. I'm delighted today to be joined by Sheena Taylor. Um, we met at a local uh, women's or uh, ladies lunch club and she was sat next to me and I really enjoyed hearing all about her business and she very kindly agreed to come and be subjected to my uh, questioning um, in today's conversation. So thank you Sheena, I really appreciate that. Um, do, you, <laughs> do you want to start by telling everybody um, who you are and what you do? So I am an eco-friendly professional organizer. I help busy women create decluttered, easy to tidy homes so they have more time to spend however they want. Wow. And I can imagine that that's something that um, most of us have a need for, I think, does everybody have a messy drawer somewhere in their house or have everybody must have a need for some sort of um, decluttering somewhere in their life? Um, yeah, I, I think there's always a little hidden pocket somewhere. Um, it's interesting because it's never really about the stuff. It's so much more than that. So although I tend to declutter one-to-one -one in homes, it's much more about decluttering life and making it a lot simpler for everyone yeah 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 so how did you come to be on this journey this path offering this service hmm. it was a long journey um I was in teaching for almost 20 years and the last um sort of six of those I was a Senko um and really specialized in supporting children with neurodiversities and learning um, difficulties and also supporting them with mental well-being um, through coaching and mentoring and when I left I just knew that I wanted to be in a space that somehow was going to support mental well-being I just wasn't sure mm -hmm. how <laughs> that was going to yeah. look um, and I mean I really I probably should have known I did lots of I had my own coaching and read lots of books um, and through the process organizing just kept popping up as the skill I had and when I reflected, of course, I used it in my teaching all the time. But on a personal level, I've lived in over, well, I've lived in 23 houses throughout my lifetime. So my mum, particularly, I think was quite nomadic. And um, so we moved a lot. And I think probably part of being, developing those organizing skills was actually moving so often and being able to control that space around me. So I felt a bit calmer in changing yeah. situations yeah so yes it led me here <laughs> <laughs> and and so what what's the um your ideal client who who are the people that you enjoy helping the most that has developed over time i help lots of different people um with moving um or if they've inherited or if they have a family member that they're clearing house for but um more and more women that are particularly late diagnosed with ADHD are coming to me mm -hmm. realizing actually that they do need support with this and it's okay to reach out and get some and they're my favorite they're my favorite my favorite clients I do really love helping them and I I think it's partly because I love to be able to work with them to really dig deep into what works with their brain and to sort of dispel some of the beliefs that things have to be done in a certain way 
And actually that as a society, I think we need to stop apologizing for the state of our homes when people come in unexpectedly and just say, welcome to my loving home, <laughs> rather than saying, you know, oh, excuse the mess. It's been, you know, I just think we need to get rid of that stigma that houses have to be a certain way. And yeah. I find particularly with women with ADHD that there's been they have gone through an awful lot through their life being told that they're not doing things right or being criticized for doing things mm -hmm. in a certain way. And that spills over into when they create homes, when they're, you know, when in their later life. Um, and yeah, I just, I like to get a bit deeper with them on that and sort of just reach a point where they're okay with where they're at. Mm. Yeah. So, what in particular does a neurodiverse woman's home look like? Or I think, an ADHD home? So ADHD I think, yeah. yeah, I think and it's different for different people because I do know ADHD women who are, who are, who work really, really hard at being organized. Um, and that's exhausting. So there does need to be a balance. Um, I think typically the home is always really welcoming. So they are the they are a home that has people round for teas and coffees and parties, and they're always showing other people love in their environment. I think that's mm -hmm. that's quite key, actually. Um, but it means that things get it's it's chaotic in a lot of situations and things get lost and have to be bought again or mornings are really stressful because you can't find the things that they need to get out the door on to, on time um, or meal times are really stressful and frantic because there hasn't been thought put into what am I going to do later this evening or what am I going to do tomorrow? It's can be very last minute. Um, mm. So I think without even, you know, not even intentionally doing it, they actually have this stress around them as well. This stress environment, which then aggravates everything else and makes it worse yeah yeah and am i right that the the late diagnosis part um comes because oh, a there must be more understanding of um you know what adhd looks like in today's world but i i also believe that um women in particular are good at masking their neurodiversity is, is that right yeah, and I, it's funny you say that. I think women in particular are very good at masking. Um, and also, there's, because they have the skills that are really good at sort of um, mimicking and watching others and then copying, um, I think that it goes undiagnosed. But there's actually so many different types of ADHD that, I mean, men can, men can mask it as well depending mm. on what environment that they that they are in so but I do think probably it's more common for women to mask just because then they can fit into the norm and that's you yeah. know a bit better for them that's I think that's what they're craving yeah yeah so what does um if, if you go into that that sort of environment um what sort of tips or recommendations do you give to people to give them that structure and I suppose my question that comes after that is um is there kind of a link between it being more of a, a physical process as well that helps it become more embedded as yeah. a habit or a routine 
I think with anything, um, and particularly with ADHD, there has got to be like a, a motivation behind it. There has to be there has to be a deep reason for wanting to create that habit. Otherwise, they it might you know you might start it and then fall off again. So I think for everyone, but particularly HD, having sort of mini resets um, just to have to have somebody that holds you accountable for things makes a really big difference. Mm. Um, but the way that I work with anybody, ADHD or otherwise, is to do a lot of questioning around sort of stress points in the home and areas that maybe aren't working or um, just that need a little tiny bit of tweaking. So, you know, a simple one is uh, in the kitchen organization. Um, I did a, 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 you know, like a kitchen organization with a woman and I said, you know, is there a reason the teacups are here and the kettle is there um and you know just digging and and seeing maybe there is a reason and if not can we make it easier so those things are together so that it minimizes back and forth and that opportunity to get distracted or forget what you're doing or get interrupted mm. um so that yeah. you can focus and get that task done yeah 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 so it's about making really tiny tweaks um and not necessarily making it something that the other person has to do so by rearranging the physical space it automatically happens without having to remember that you have to do that and I think that's beneficial yeah. for anybody <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 I mean it's uh, everybody knows when you when you move things in a cupboard I guess the first the first week or so you keep going back to the old cupboard yes. but you're kind of you have we have no choice but to get the cup uh, cut out of the right cupboard in the end yeah <laughs> that's yeah. right so yeah, just yeah. little little things that could, in the long run, make a bigger difference to their everyday life. Yeah, and how does um how do those sort of tips come across in um sort of more areas of work or organizing their time, those sorts of things? There's, I think, there's lots of tools out there now that you know, like body doubling and timers, um, that people are more aware of but maybe haven't experimented with yet. So I do like to use the term experimenting when I'm working with anybody because it, it, isn't, it isn't a one size fits everything for everybody. You can give tips and they need to try it to see if it works or even just finding a timer that suits them. But yeah, things, little things like that. Timers work really well. Yeah. Um, I mentioned before, accountability is a really big one I have a client who I have worked with for a really long time um, and I text her pretty much every week just to say how are you getting on um, and she feels that that really helps her even though I'm not coming in to see her necessarily just knowing that I'm going to be checking in gets yeah. her moving and gets stuff done so yeah and that I mean that doesn't work for everybody accountability works for lots of people but not everyone <laughs> so it depends no, on definitely <laughs> yeah I mean I know some people that if you tell them they have to do something it's almost the opposite reaction they would rebel against that and not do it on purpose <laughs> so you've got to find what works for each individual yeah. yeah and you refer to something called body doubling I don't know what that is so I think it's relatively new um it's kind of like so when you it's like a zoom room or something online normally um actually essentially i do that in person a lot with people i i'm a body double when i'm in a house with a person because having somebody else there 
knowing that that's what you're meant to be doing keeps you on task. Um, and, and again, it's that accountability thing. But you can sign up to Zoom rooms and just you don't even have to have your camera on or sound, but just knowing that at the end of the session, people will be checking in to see how you got on, manages to keep you focused. I see. So it's kind of like having the little person sat on your shoulder. No, no, you were supposed to be doing, making the dinner and chopping the carrots and now you've got to make a cup of tea. That sort of um, yeah. got you. Yeah, because some people find that, um, yes, yeah, useful if they've got like a deadline to meet or something, but they're finding it hard to keep focused on things that... Yeah just being in that same spot. I didn't realize that was what it's called you learn something new every day how fascinating <laughs> I think as well it gives you the opportunity when you are stuck to have a conversation or you know or see if anybody has a tip or advice um which when you're working on your own you don't have that luxury yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. and where do what do you what have the biggest challenges been for you setting up um your business in this area I think um initially it was my own challenge in confidence I think when you go through a really big transition so when I came out of teaching it was a bit like a grieving process it was like I was leaving who I was and becoming somebody else and having to discover who that person was and so I think my confidence held me back for a long long time in mm. um in being more visible and actually once I got over that it's made a really big difference in my business and I feel you know like I, I feel able to go out and talk about what I do day to day yeah, yeah. I think as well there's a, there's a couple of things there's it's quite a new thing a lot of people say oh a professional organizer I don't even know what that is have never heard of it before that is slowly becoming you know those that that is slowly becoming more of a a well-known thing especially with shows on television like sort out your life and I know Nick Knowles did something similar so people are becoming more aware of it um and also it's quite a personal thing so I think more than other professions people really need to get to know you get to hear your voice and mm. trust you on a personal level before they will invite you into their home yeah. because there there's so, such fear around being judged um that I think that's quite a big barrier and your home is like your sort of sacred safe place isn't it so to invite somebody in is um you've really got to be ready to trust that person yeah 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 mm -hmm. and how did what did just for anyone sort of out there who's in the process of making a, a career change and wants to do quite a big change like you've done. And I think confidence is a big issue for, for lots of women. Um, what was it, do you think, that sort of gave you the confidence in the end? It was actually just doing the things that I was scared of doing and whether, and, and getting, and, not doing it perfectly and being okay with that because that can help that held me back for a long time is that you know having to get everything all the ducks lined up <laughs> um and actually just taking one messy step at a time is is okay it's still it's still moving forward yeah yeah, yeah. I I hear you on that one I think one of the um 
the the um, example that came to mind for me was, um, for example, on your computer when you have uh, a filing system and you think, oh no, this one isn't working. I need to set up a new system so that I can find my files easier. And you you don't do it because you know that you've got folders and folders and folders of files to put into the new system. And when I realised that you don't have that I could just say, okay, I don't need to do that for all of the past. I can just have this as a system from now. Mm. I was like, oh, wow. Yeah, wow, I can do that now. <laughs> and it just, sounds, it just sounds completely stupid saying it, but wow, what a difference that makes because at a certain point in time, does it matter when you look back if, if the filing system changed? It's like, but now I have one that works better. Yeah, I think we often find actually when we file things away, a lot of that stuff we eventually don't need anymore anyway yeah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. It's, it's funny you should say that because I've been talking about sort of managing holiday photos um in my Facebook group and you know like in my Instagram posts and things and I, I was thinking exactly the same thing oh my goodness I have so many photos to sort out but yeah just coming to the realization that actually yes I do but I don't have to start with those ones I can actually right. just whatever I want to put in place I can start now and going forward, yeah. things will be better. <laughs> and exactly. whether I get to that or not, who knows? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, what do you think, um, what are the most common things that people hold on to and or struggle to let go of physically? Ooh, it's different things for different people. Um, I think children's items are quite a big one. And um, because there's so many memories attached to childhood items of, of our children, more particularly. Um, and books, books have lots of meaning for lots of people. Clothing, clothing is a, a really big one. Clothing is so attached to our, our identity, I think, mm -hmm. that it can be really difficult to declutter clothing. Yeah. Yeah. So those are just a few. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I remember um, a couple of years after I had my uh, youngest daughter having a, a wardrobe um, declutter session with a, with a stylist. Um, I was so shocked at the pile of clothes on the floor at the end of the session. It felt so cathartic as an exercise, but I hadn't realized, well, there, there were items in there that over 10 years old that I just hadn't worn. And then you look at them, it's like, oh, I'm never going to wear that again. Why am I holding on to it? Yeah. Um, but what a sense of um, of release and excitement, actually, and lightness when you can then go into your wardrobe and you know that you love everything that's in there. Yeah. Um, such a great feeling. Yeah. And I think it I mean, that is really key around. I th Well, for me, particularly having gone through lots of stages of life, having clothing that I just didn't fit into anymore and. Took, you know, it can take a really long time to let that go and just accept the stage of life mm -hmm. that you're in. And, you know, it's not about we are not meant to fit into clothing. Clothing is meant to fit us. And so if mm -hmm. you see it that way, then, you know, there's, we don't need to squeeze back into those things that we want, yeah. you know, we think we need to. And just, yeah, accepting where we're at now. Yeah. yeah. And do you thing. know it is really hard? <laughs> do, do you, 
under underneath like for example take the the thing of clothing do you see common um limiting beliefs yes definitely i think there is um sometimes around moms or someone that has uh retired there is this if they have work clothes in their wardrobes they feel like letting that stuff go almost they see it as a it's it as a failure in a sense because they've moved on to something else but not necessarily seeing it as just stepping into the next stage of their journey but actually mm. that that perhaps ended in a way that didn't have closure um yeah so i think that there's a bit of a there's a bit of a belief that that clothing represents more than just what it is. Yeah. 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 Hmm. And how long, how long do you, how long is like the typical journey with a client? Because you mentioned earlier that you have a client that you've been working with for mm. a while. As it's a, a something that where you build up trust a deep level of trust with your yeah. clients does that mean that your um relationship working relationships are quite lengthy yes it can it can be um i mean with some with some clients it's relatively short if they're say moving or something it can be quite quick um but yeah for people that really need support regularly um i think those are, there are more people like that reaching out now mm. accepting that it's okay that they might just need to have somebody come in and sort of do little resets every once in a while to keep them on track so yeah, yeah I think it some of my clients I mean I've worked with some of my clients for over a year maybe more so yeah yeah, yeah. it depends on the client <laughs> <laughs> which is good because we are all individual anyway so that's important isn't it yeah yeah mm -hmm. and I'm assuming you you said that um ideally you work face to face with people is it possible to work online or is it just not the same or again yeah. does it depend on the, the, the situation and the client you can work online um that's absolutely possible um and in some circumstances it may be it might that might be the only way distance wise or whatever um so it is possible to do it online um it would be no different the questioning and things that would go on um mm. it's it holds a lot of the same thing so you would have a lot of the same accountability and someone to bounce questions off of i think sometimes like we were talking about energy earlier and i think that you can sometimes get that through a screen, but it's much more profound mm -hmm. in person. And to feel that positive en energy coming from somebody else whilst you're going through something that's potentially quite challenging, um, I do think has an advantage being in person. Yeah. 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 So how and how do um, what sort of frequency do people work with you initially? Or again, is that completely it's yeah it is and a lot of it comes down to time a lot of people I mean it does take time to work one-to-one -one with somebody so they need to have they need to be able to invest that time um 
and normally normally people that are coming to you are so busy and overwhelmed that you know it, it ironically it's hard to fit it in <laughs> so yeah yeah I think for my regular clients it's usually about once a month that I would be supporting but if it's something you know if we're working towards a goal of some kind then it might be once a week yeah 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 and of course, the other part that we haven't um, spoken about, which would be interesting from a selfish perspective to look at, is the the, the eco, environmental, sustainable side of it. I'm assuming that the two go pretty well in hand anyway. Mm. Can you share a little bit more about um, if people are um, letting go of items, where they end up and what you find the most um, efficient ways of recycling? Yeah, so I'm quite passionate about this. I have done lots of research locally of where things go. So I do get quite a lot of family and friends um, messaging me to say, I've got this, where should I take it? <laughs> um, I think Facebook is actually a wonderful platform because if you're part of a local community, if you put if you post in there, you've got something that you'd like to, you know, repurpose or send on to some somewhere else. People are really good um, about saying where they've, you know, taken things because the reality is it takes a bigger amount of effort to to you know recycle something or to take it to a place that's definitely going to use it again than if you just drop something off at a charity shop so there is a time investment and it depends I think for it's an individual thing obviously I'm passionate about it and with a lot of clients I work with I take things away so that I take them to places that will recycle them or will definitely use them um, because I know that they don't have time for that and they like that service as part of what I do um, but yeah I think Facebook is a great place to put things mm -hmm. and if you put um, if things are for free there's a pretty good chance someone will come and get it and use yeah. it again for something which really helps in the process you know it helps you to let go of things if you know something is going to be used again and someone else is going to appreciate that item it makes it so much easier to let go of it yeah and no, i completely agree i think it's yeah we need there's there's more of it that we we could be doing it's heartbreaking to see some of the things that just get discarded when mm. there's still plenty of um life left in them i know i do loads of posts i say loads of posts about um all the things i I do with upcycled jeans and rag rugging and all these sorts of things. I, I love reusing some of these yeah. articles to mm. make them into something else that tells another story. Mm. Um, my great grandmother, really my great grandmother was a rag. She was a rag rugger. She actually, she was no like famous in her area for the rugs that she wow. made and she sold them. Um, and I've always had this idea that it would be such a wonderful project to start. Um, but not for me to actually do. <laughs> so so <laughs> for me to oversee it, but not necessarily be part of the <laughs> the creative side of it. <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's really great. Have you tried Have you tried rag rugging before? I haven't. I haven't actually, which is no. crazy because I, you know, I, I've actually seen her. I saw her make them, and I have things that she's made. You know that I've kept wow. as keepsakes. Um, yeah yeah it's just it's so it's really pretty actually and really creative yeah. I mean 
I do think there's something around, you know, particularly around bereavement and using items like that to create something that maybe would go in your home to be, yeah, yeah, to keep that memory alive. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Well, I'd be very happy to give you a demo on how to rag rug at some point because it's uh, it's even something you can do in front of the TV, which is quite cool. Mm. Um, it can be quite, yeah, portable-ish, depending yes. on the size of the thing you're you're making. Cushions are a good thing to do. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a big. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Amazing. Um, so um, just to wrap up, um, if people wanted to get in touch with you and find out more about what you do, what's the, the best place for them to reach you? So I've got um, my website is yourprofessionalorganizer.co.uk. Um, on Instagram, I'm your underscore professional underscore organizer. <laughs> so uh, it's very similar. I also have a Facebook group, um, Declutter Your Home UK. Uh, with lots of conversations and support going on there to help people to declutter Amazing. their homes yeah that's awesome yeah I've really enjoyed um enjoy speaking to you I think it's um an absolutely fascinating business that you've um you've developed yourself and I, I can see that there's a really great need for your sort of services for people so and that the way that it ties in with sustainability is um I really love that as well so um thank you so much for joining me it's been a complete honor to have you um, thank you so much for having me <laughs> my thank pleasure you. all right Thanks. thank you take care bye-bye bye-bye